We open our Bibles to the third letter of John, and we'll be reading the entire letter this evening. It's, it's brief, uh, it's focused, and helpful. Uh, there's a particular reason we're coming here tonight, but I'd like to explain that to you after we read the text. I was only expecting to read to you maybe one or two verses, but as I looked at it, I'm like, no, it has to be the whole letter. So in this case, we cover a whole book of the Bible together tonight, a very short one, of course, Third uh, John. So Third uh, John, verses 1 through 15, and again, in the bulletin, I mistakenly had it as verse 14. It goes to, you know, there's 15 verses. We'll read them all together. Hear now the word of your Lord. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, Thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou dost to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. May the Lord bless this, the reading, the preaching, the hearing, the believing, and the living out of this is holy word. Well, in this sermon, I think most of you know and expect already, uh, we are announcing the name of our baby boy that is due next March. Uh, we've already told you that he's a boy. We've told you recently that we're expecting. <laughs> Couldn't hide it. And uh, that he's a boy. And uh, after long deliberation, which seems to be the norm, <laughs> we finally got to name where I'm thankful for the process because I'm happy to get here. And I think this is what it should be. So the name is, as you read in verse one, his name is Gaius. So I appreciate you can begin to start praying for Gaius. His full name is Gaius Ezekiel Van Leuven. And uh, again, you pronounce it Gaius. The A-I has a guy sound. Uh, 
It took us a while to get to the first name. We, we usually kind of have to debate for a while. It fits the G requirement. Fernando likes to have each of the names start with the G. That's why even Juliana is an Italian spelling. And I always tell her it's going to look like I'm vain. Everybody thinks I need it to be a G, but it's her idea. I need to give that disclaimer. Uh, also, the middle name, uh, starting with Dan, uh, Isaac Danielle, and then, of course, Gabriel Samuel, and then uh, Gideon Emmanuel, and then Juliana L. Elizabeth all have the name God, L for strength in them. And so we're keeping with that with Ezekiel, okay? But Gaius, we'd had that name a while ago, Ezekiel, but we had struggled for the first name, Gaius, but we're there now. And uh, here's uh, what we're kind of thinking will be his nicknames for fun, Guy, G-U-I, or Little Guy. I think that'll be kind of cute. Come on, Little Guy. In fact, I was saying that to uh, Gideon recently. Hey, that's going to be his name, right? And we'll call him Little Guy. He goes, where's my Little Guy? <laughs> He's in Mommy's belly. Little Guy's in Mommy's belly. So uh, we, were, we were looking uh, for a name that we, we weren't requiring it to be biblical, but we preferred biblical and with a good meaning and with a good witness. And we found it in Gaius in the New Testament. In fact, there's a number of scriptures that bring up his name, although I hadn't thought of this name. I, I kept searching and searching and like, wait a minute. Hmm. Hmm, let's look at this. And uh, as I started to look through these different scriptures with the name, uh, more than the name is what I want to talk about with you tonight, but what we're seeing in this name and other names coming up in the service of the church in the New Testament. I want to take you on our uh, little journey that uh, led to the name with the names in the New Testament. It turns out this name Gaius, it's probably four different Gaiuses, I guess you say. It's probably not the same Gaius. I'd never really paid attention to that. And I'm really thankful that I double-checked. I forgot my commentary, so that's why I was back here. And you're seeing me coming in with the sermon drawing. I wanted to double-check some, some certain commentaries I have on the letters to John, and I was glad I did. It's, it's probably not the Gaius referred to in other scriptures, but we're going to look at that for this for the same reason and uh, we're seeing that uh, their name uh, in the New Testament was an example of how we should wish our names would be recorded by our local church and fellowship and service and presbytery and witness often when we write emails to fellow presbyters we greet them and their families and fellow elders and servants and share about our own often being asked, how's so-and-so by name? How's elder so-and-so? How's deacon so-and-so? How are those visitors? And they ask often by name and we ask the same. It's, it's natural to bring up such things. Such names in the life of the church, in the service of the church. And it's pleasant to be able to have good things to report of the faithful few. Not necessarily the few, but as you'll even see here with John tonight, as Paul does, there are names that come up. Oh, boy. You know, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to rejoice in, as we'll see John does tonight, to be re able to rejoice in reporting about the names in writing in letters like this uh, with, with rejoicing because of what is behind the name in terms of the person. But again, there are four references uh, to Gaius in the New Testament. 
Each one is a different one from Third John, apparently. We don't know for sure if he's the same as the others. But that's because Gaius was a very popular name back then. Even uh, Julius Caesar's name was Gaius. Many of the some of the Caesars, at least, were Gaius. And uh, by the way, um, sometimes it was Caius and Caius. The V kind of dropped after a while. The reason you might see it as Caius or Gaius is because the C and the G were not distinct that much at the time. But we have it here as Gaius now. But it was a very, very common name. Kind of like John, I think, today, or maybe Robert or Brian. You know, there are certain names that are so regularly used, you might have three or five of them in the church, and you have to distinguish between them. And that's kind of what's happening here. When we see the name Gaius, we're not familiar with it now, but it would have been ubiquitous then. And, and therefore, actually, it turns out we're hearing the name Gaius about different men. And uh, we're going to want to take a look at that first. And what I'd like to do, be, we're going to come back to 3 John, but let's look at the other places where we find the name Gaius of other men. And let's look at, though they are different men, let's look at the commonality of why they're listed. Uh, so look with me first at Acts, right after the Gospel of John. And again, we'll come back to 3 John. Let's go to Acts chapter uh, 19. Verse 29, Acts chapter 19, verse 29, and the whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. Now this is persecution in Ephesus and the praising of the Diana, you know, they're having a problem with how Christianity is making such an impact in their area that a lot of them are losing money because they can't sell their idols, their trade is going away. Oh, that Christianity would have that impact on many trades in our nation and world today as it did then. But notice Gaius is mentioned among others, uh, well, one other, Aristarchus, as men from Macedonia. You wonder if it might not relate to the Philippian church. Uh, Paul's companions in travel. He, they were comp Gaius here was a companion with Paul in his missionary travels and suffered for it. You know, notice he's not repenting. Uh, they, it's basically they seized him for being a companion and witnessing with Paul of Christ as a missionary. Here we have first um, Gaius of Macedonia, of Macedonia. And that's something that I don't tend to pay enough attention to the details, uh, that th these different Gaiuses are mentioned by where they're from. So we see Gaius of Macedonia in chapter 19, verse 29. Look ahead to chapter 20. We have another Gaius, uh, chapter 20, verse 4. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus. Now, first of all, notice how many names are mentioned along with his name. That's important for what we want to come back around and think about. But this Gaius, and uh, because Aristarchus is mentioned again, it can be a little confusing. But this one, it says Gaius of Derby. So this is a different Gaius. He's also accompanying uh, on these missionary journeys. Um, but it's a, it's a different accompanying mit. And actually, I'm saying Paul. I think it's actually, uh, yeah, okay. Um, now, uh, that's, the, that's the second Gaius, Gaius of Macedonia, Gaius of Derby. Now, there's another Gaius. Uh, and not the same of the first two we're looking at, Romans chapter 16. Now, Romans 16 is, you know, the end of the letter. Paul's 
incredible letter of great doctrine and uh, tremendous letter, but towards the end he gets into some real practical application. And then he has a long list in, going in and out of just naming a bunch of names. Say hello to so-and-so, and so-and-so, uh, such as verse 13, salute Rufus, or 15, uh, salute Philologus and Julia. Notice there's men and women's names, Nereus and his sister, and Olympi uh, Olympus. Notice all these names are, are coming up. Uh, just It's just a natural thing to do. Hey, I'm writing to you all. Hey, don't forget to say hello to so-and-so. And that's also showing that a pastor should know his sheep, right? It's also showing the church should be familiar and we should know one another very well and love one another. But what we're going to pay attention to is verse 23. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you, and Quartus, a brother. Notice again, all these names being mentioned in passing, but Gaius, mine host. Do you see the hospitality? I'm tempted to confuse him with 3 John, because what John is writing him about is, please continue to be hospitable. Show hospitality to the missionaries who are coming, in contrast to um, uh, what, was, what is happening with Diotrephes, who forbade them and sent them away. We know you were hospitable before. We have a good report. Please be hospitable again. So uh, mine host. Notice Paul speaking of Gaius, mine host. And that hosting really usually would probably have the idea of hosting in the home at no cost. And at personal cost in terms of food and, you know, whatever it is to host such, such a person. Uh, you think you, you see this kind of supporting of the prophets, right, uh, in the Old Testament, building a room for one as they come and go, having food. And, of course, Christ says that as you go out as apostles, you know, don't take much with you. It's expected that, you know, the labor is worth his wages and the labor is worth his wages and they'll take care of you as you're going through as missionaries building the church. But this Gaius here in Romans 16.23 may be the same Gaius of Corinth in chapter 1. So look right ahead to chapter 1, verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. So at least we know that Gaius was baptized. He was baptized, that is, he gave himself to the formal acknowledgement of being in the membership of the visible church. He's a churchman. Now, that being said, we see these three men, maybe four, but probably three. But our text today, if you'll turn with me back to 3 John, all the commentators say, we don't really know for sure if he's one of those Gaiuses. And most of them seem to say probably not. So probably a fourth Gaius. Again, remember, the name is very common. It's no surprise uh, to have that come up a lot and be different people. But what we see with all these men named Gaius, though they are different people with the same name, that their names are recorded as part of the same regular, sacrificial, brotherly, loving Christian service in and for the church with and as leaders of the truth of Christianity. That's why we see their names. They're churchmen. They're busy about serving in the church. They're hosting missionaries. They're accompanying and being companions to missionaries. And in this case with, with John, again, hosting and, and a leader in this local church, John's addressing. That's what we want to recognize. It's natural they are named because they are so involved and giving a good witness in their involvement. 
sometimes in contrast to other names that come up. And we see the same, especially of Gaius, be it written to in 3 John. So back to 3 John. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius. Notice, the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Think about how Jesus refers to John in the Gospel of John as, uh, you know, my beloved, the, the one who I love, you know, the one close to his bosom. He's referring that way now to Gaius. So that, that suggests they've got some... Some service together. They've got some service either together or apart and overlapping, but they've got some years under their belts together. And there's just a brotherly love and affection for mutual service and sacrifice for the church and the churches. And, and I'm, I'm tempted to go back to the letter of Philippians constantly tonight. But I want to remind you and think about that. Paul is talking, he's writing from Rome to those in the Philippian church saying, you are partners with me. You are participating in the gospel. I'm so thankful you always have been. And now you have opportunity again and you're sending support and you sent Epaphroditus to check on me. I'm sending him ahead of me. I hope to be there later. I'm going to send Timothy hopefully. And uh, you know there's just this mutual service over the years of a beloved fellowship being fellow workers together. It feels very similar to the letter to the Philippians. The whole letter tonight is addressed to Gaius. And as I'm interested at how often the name comes up and why, uh, when I recognize the whole letter is addressed to this man called Gaius. It's 15 verses. It's a short letter. Commentators say it probably could be on one side of a, a, a papyrus. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right because I have a papyrus in the back I'm working on right now. <laughs> but uh, papyrus, I think. Uh, but it could be written on one side. It was very short. It's all to Gaius. It's a quick letter about one particular issue. John hopes to visit Gaius and his church soon. And he can't, or rather he doesn't really want to spend too much time writing a lot to him now. He'd rather get there fast and in person to see him face to face and talk with him in personal fellowship. He wants to be back in fellowship face to face and catch up. It's nice to write a letter. It's much better to be there in person. But in the meantime, before he can get there, John does need to quickly write to him about something very important. Before I get there, he's saying, I'm asking you, Gaius, to treat the missionaries that I'm sending ahead of me the same way you have in the past with hospitality. Take them, serve them. That's the main theme of this letter. And of course, that's a requirement of elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that they would be having hospitality, that they would be known for hospitality. There are quite a few scriptures, including in Romans, that bring up the idea of hospitality. Christians should have the gift of hospitality, and leading officers in the church especially so. And so John is saying, look, there's such a good report of your previous hospitality to such missionaries. I'm sending again to you these missionaries or others, please give them the same kind of treatment. So that they don't have to kick the dust off their feet, right? So to speak. Please give them the same kind of treatment. Now, why is he concerned to write that to him before he gets there? He wants to see the same love as he has seen before and that he has been known for before. Why? Because it is in contrast to Diotrephes and how he has treated people who have come. And look at verse 9. He's basically saying, please don't let Diotrephes change the way you welcome and show hospitality to such ministers. Verse 9. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. 
Then verse 10, wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. It's really hard to imagine, but that's the situation. Diotrephes seems to be higher in authority. Some argue maybe he was a bishop as things kind of developed there. Uh, we wouldn't argue that's biblical church government. Uh, but he seems to be in some sense in a higher, more prominent role. Maybe it's just by, view, by way of personality, as sometimes can be the case. And he dismissed these guys. No, we don't need you. Thanks anyways. We don't need your help. Go on somewhere else. We're not going to be able to host you. We're not going to support you. And uh, John is saying, please, don't let that habit become yours. Continue in that church where you are, where Diotrephes is. Continue to show hospitality like you always do. Continue to be who you are, Gaius. Continue to be what you are known for, showing hospitality, helping the broader church, and showing love and support for the sake of the truth of Christ and its propagation and building the church throughout the world. John says he's going to have a face-to-face chat with Diotrephes also, uh, but they will be having words, if you will. But he says, don't be the same as him. And this is an example also of how you do not want your name recorded in the church's life and history. Right? Paul calls people out by names. They were not of us and says the troubles that some have particularly given him. And he calls them out by name. And that's not what we want our names to come up for if they are to come up in the memory of church service. Division, strife, backstabbing. Again, it's tempting to go right back to the letter to the Philippians. He calls out people by name there for that kind of a thing, right? He says, instead, follow my example. Follow the example of those I'm sending to Epaphrodites, uh, Timothy, right? All following the example of Christ. I mean, Christ didn't turn anyone away, right? He had compassion always on those who had physical needs and were to be the same. And he's saying, Gaius, continue to be that guy. Gaius, if you will excuse me here, be continue to be my guy, Gaius. That is like Demetrius, verse 12. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. Be like Demetrius. He's got a good report of all men. He's hospitable. He's welcoming. He's happy when people from other places are visiting. I've heard sad reports too often, and I really don't get it. And I'm so glad that I observe and I see others observing and recognizing. It's not the case here. But I've heard of people say, I walked right in and out of that Reformed church visiting, and not one person said hello to me. Not one person welcomed me. I felt so unwelcome. That should never be the report about any church, especially those who particularly should understand grace, sovereign grace. And may that never be the report here. May we have the report of Gaius and Demetrius, not of Diotrephes. Because John says Christians, especially church leaders, need to be reliably hospitable in brotherly love for Christ's truth with one another. Especially other Christian leaders. 
even when other leaders in the church make it hard to do so. So Gaius was one John knew he could trust to be faithful. I'll give you that as the main idea here. John says Christians, especially church leaders, need to be reliably hospitable in brotherly love for Christ's truth with one another, and especially other Christian leaders, even when other leaders in the church make it hard to do so. Gaius, his name in Latin, because it's, it's really a Latin name that's being transliterated into the Greek, uh, his name means, I love this, this, this helped to choose the name for our son, to rejoice. Isn't that lovely? To rejoice. Now consider that with Hebrews 13, uh, 17, uh, where uh, it is said, don't make it a burden and a grief for your elders as they're trying to serve you and help you obey Christ. But rather make it a joy to them in how you respond and follow their lead. Now, of course, assuming and implying that they're leading you correctly. Uh, but don't make it a burden. Now, consider that with what John says of Gaius in verse 3 here. Look what he says. I almost wonder if he's having fun playing on the name of Gaius. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I rejoiced greatly at the testimony of Gaius, which means to rejoice. Well, isn't that another theme that comes up in Philippians so much? As he's remember the Philippians, the same kind of mutual service over the years, self-sacrifice and humbling oneself for the unity of the whole, which is the opposite of Diotrephes being called out here, right? Uh, it is this idea of rejoicing comes up so much. It's not the main thing of, theme of Philippians, but often it can be considered that it is because it's such a major sub-theme as a result of this kind of mutual service and the names that are being associated with it properly. So he says, I'm rejoicing at your report, O Gaius, and your name means to be to rejoice. That's the kind of report we want of ourselves with others in the church for Christ. Look at the character John describes of Gaius. And that's what I want you to look with. We're just going to touch on I'm going to summarize. We won't go in great detail. But look at the character, verses 1 through 8 of Gaius. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. We are serving Christianity. We are serving Christ who is the truth we are serving because it's we will be saved by knowing him who is the truth and the truth about him we're standing for it often against lies such as the first letter of John is particularly against some lies about Jesus some false doctrine Gaius is standing for the truth 
Notice how often it is said dearly beloved throughout. So much there is this idea of love. He loves the truth, but he loves fellow believers in the truth, you see. Uh, notice also it's for the name's sake of Jesus Christ. We're seeing the name of Gaius being brought up. And we're going to think about that idea of names being brought up. But notice it's because it's all for the name of Jesus. It's all for the sake of the name of Jesus. Walking in the truth. Now this suggests, and I think it's a pretty strongly likely, if it almost seems obvious, that Gaius would seem to be a convert of John's ministry. Because look, verse 3, well, no, let's start with verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, in this case, he's speaking metaphorically, not literally biological children, but children of the faith. Children who've been born again through the ministry, my ministry. Paul talks about that as well. My ministry to you in Corinth. My ministry to you in Galatia. My ministry to you in, uh, to the Philippian church. And so, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Well, it seems to me pretty reasonable. He's talking about Gaius directly, the whole letters to him and he's emphasizing how much he walks in truth look at verse 3 I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee even as thou walkest in the truth and I don't have any greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth seems that John is just rejoicing that Gaius is walking in the truth still he continues to be steadfast. Year after year, he's still there. How often do you go to church and the next thing you know, the pastor's not there anymore? Or certain elders are not there anymore, and they're not in the church anywhere. Or certain people are not there. I mean, it's like, well, who's going to witness for Christ in this place? If everybody keeps moving around, or sadly often moves out completely from the visible church. But boy, Gaius, you can count on him. Every year you're there, Gaius. I can count on you. You're there serving the church. You love one another in the truth. You love the truth. You are hospitable. You are showing hospitality, which is an important quality and characteristic. It's what's being highlighted here. Please keep showing hospitality. Not like Diotrephes, continue to show hospitality. It's a crucial part of how the gospel is going to advance. We got to have posts along the way, right? Where they can go out to the next cities on their evangelical journeys. And they need to be able to refresh, be recharged, fed, taken care of along the way. I appreciate, therefore, how our church is always so hospitable and supportive when we host Presbytery, for instance. All the work and all the effort that goes to honor the presbyters and their travels and their sacrifices, especially those who are uh, ruling elders and not getting paid for it. Often when we've gone to other places like Wisconsin, they put us up in homes to help us save our expensive travels. This is Gaius. He's known because he's just doing what Christians are supposed to do in regular church life, local church life, and broader church life as it passes through our church. So, for instance, I love that I know I can count on the elders to pick somebody up when they're looking for a ride, when they're in here for business or something else, out of, coming from out of town, and they can always get a ride. We're going to get them. We're going to bring them here. We hope they'll stay. They're welcome to stay in our homes. Come back for evening service. Enjoy food and fellowship. We'll bring you back to the hotel and help you not have to worry about travel on the Lord's Day in terms of employing someone. You know, that's the kind of thing that is the natural expression here, and it should be. 
And as you're doing that, people are learning and knowing your names and sharing about that elsewhere. That's what just should be the life of the church, especially the leadership. And Gaius is clearly being communicated here uh, to as an elder, if not an elder, a leader, a leader, clearly in some informal way, if not officially in the church. Well, John Stott, in his commentaries on the letters of John, says this about Gaius. And I think he gives us a lot to think about. Let me share a few things with you. John Stott says, Gaius was a balanced Christian. By the way, beloved, that's something to be looking for, a balanced Christian. Some Christians, all they care about is service. They don't care about truth. And some Christians, all they care about truth, and they're the most pain-in-the-neck people to be around. And they never sacrifice for anyone else. We're supposed to be like Gaius. Let us, beloved, be balanced Christians. Standing for truth and serving one another standing for truth. John Stott, Gaius was a balanced Christian. He held the truth in love. He also loved in truth. Gaius was a transparent, open Christian who was letting his light shine and not hiding it. His truth and love were known to all, even strangers, verse 5, could see his sterling worth and bear witness to it. You see, Gaius was a trustworthy, loving leader in the church. Notice the church is regularly referred to here. The whole thing is the context of it, right? But in particular, verse 6, 9, and 10, ecclesia in the Greek, the church, the called out ones to assemble together and be the temple of God and worship, serving one another as the body of Christ throughout the week. It's all about church life. These men are churchmen. It's not something I think is really valued or emphasized today. A lot of people love to talk about doctrine, pass through, and have somebody else serve them. And if they want to be an elder, it's because they think they know everything and they want to leave. You'd be surprised a person who've never met us before have told us an email, I'd like to be an elder. I don't agree with a lot of stuff you stand for. Who do you think you are? Let alone where you got to be in the body of the Christ. This is why I think uh, we're told by Paul uh, in Timothy, don't let anybody, a recent convert, be an elder. Because they'll be puffed up with pride, you know. It's about service. Serving the church. Serving the body of Christ. It's implied through and spoken to in the end. Further, John Stott says of verses 3 and 4 of Gaius uh, about walking the truth. Here's what it means. Walking the truth, he says, means to apply it to one's behavior. Not, as Paul says elsewhere, deny our doctrine by our life. Uh, deny our profession by our lifestyle. Uh, to walk in truth means to apply it to one's behavior. Whoever, quote, walks in the truth is an integrated believer in whom there is no dichotomy between profession and practice. Maybe I should put it in brackets. There's no dichotomy between justification and sanctification. He goes on to say, on the contrary, there is in him an exact correspondence between creed and conduct. To him, truth mattered. Beloved, you might say that Gaius talked the right talk, and he walked his talk, following Jesus in doctrine and practice, and in the body, never around or outside it. 
And John says to pass on the peace and love of Christ to their friends in the church there with Gaius. Notice in verse 15, by name. Don't you love that? They're all serving, verse 7, for the name of Jesus Christ. I'm talking to you, Gaius. I'm, I'm, I'm naming uh, also Demetrius in, in terms of a good thing. But say hello to everyone. Greet them all by name. Greet them all by name. It's certainly about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but that inherently involves a personal relationship with one another and beyond our own church walls. Pray the Lord allows us to be brought into Presbytery in his perfect timing. And that those relationships keep building, even just organically for now along the way. Pray that the Lord allows us to continue to serve the saints up and uh, at all saints in their need. And continue to be communicating. How are things going? I, I asked uh, uh, one of the men up there recently about something to pass on to someone else I was talking down here. And he shared they had a really sad situation come up of someone who used to be in the church and left and all kinds of problems. And and uh, ended up committing suicide. He says, I'm, I'm sorry to share this to you, but it's so heavy on our hearts. That's the kind of thing he should feel like he should share with us. You talk to your family, you talk to your friends and brethren. You talk about happy things and you grieve over sad things and you support one another and you care about what's happening somewhere else with others in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 applies beyond our building. And John is saying, continue to be that way, Gaius. Continue to be Gaius. And pass that on. Say hello to those others by name. Oh, that all of us would be giving such a witness. Notice uh, it's often said witness. I think sometimes you don't see it in the English, but it's in the Greek. There's this regular theme also of giving a witness, a good report to one another. I hear the witness of you. Uh, and um, the, the Greek word it looks like the word for martyr. It's where we get the word martyr. Dying to yourself, describing his and the other's good character, serving one another in the church with loving, brotherly hospitality and truth that is self-denying and self-sacrificing. Again, having a hard time not going to Philippians, especially chapters two and three together. Think of Antipas when you think about this witness that John is rejoicing about Gaius and encouraging him to continue to have. Antipas in Revelation 2.13, why do we know his name? Because he is Christ's faithful witness, or in the Greek, literally faithful martyr. He, he died for Christ. This is the kind of service we're to be giving. This is what we want our name to have meaning in, self-dying service to the living Jesus Christ who's given us life and saved us from death. It's just who we are. It's just what we're known for. If you're going to be looking for Gaius, you're going to find him in church. You're going to find him at a session meeting. You're going to find him at a work day. <laughs> you're going to find him at a fellowship event. You're going to find him at Wednesday night studies. You're going to find him in somebody's home helping them with something. That's pretty much all you're going to know about him. It's about all he does, about all he has times for, right? Beloved, just like all of you. As we all bear the name of Christ. Acts eleven twenty six. they became known. They began to become known as Christians. That's what should be seen and observed. That should be our witness and our testimony. 
We're Christians. We're Christ's. We follow his example. We die to ourselves and we live for others and we humble ourselves and count others better than ourselves and are more concerned for the interest of others than our own, which is love. First Corinthians 13. To do that is to be like Jesus, not Diotrephes, like Paul, who writes in Philippians 4, 3, as encouraging people to work it out with some of the ladies there. And I entreat the, and he names them, by the way, <laughs> but it's an encouraging thing. I entreat the also true yoke fellow, help, that word yoke fellow is similar in our text today, uh, help with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Work it out. Keep building and working and serving and sacrificing for one another. For the sake of the name of Christ, that's why we're all in this together as his body, as his house, as his family. Beloved, while your names are not recorded in Scripture, of course, notice how many are in Romans 16, for instance. I was, I was really wanting to, let's just look through the chapter of Romans. Look at how many names are listed. I mean, it's so encouraging. First, it just shows the historicity of the Scripture. These are real people like you in their day. Probably would not nearly what we have, right? And they're serving Jesus, and so they get named they get named in the service of Jesus for the kinds of just life, church life that they are a regular part of. The family, it's natural to greet family. All serving in the church, Christ's body. That's where we want our names to be known, isn't it? For serving the leaders of the church and leading the church well when called upon. In contrast to those John here and Paul elsewhere calls out by name, we want to be the ones that can call on, that can be called on by name, to be counted on by name again and again, showing up all the time. Each presbytery we host, each annual congregational meeting, each worship service especially. Think of all your names in the book of life, beloved. You are in Christ. You are serving for his name's sake, such as these missionaries, such as Gaius then recognize your name, your very name. Or there may be more than one of your first names, right? It would be, uh, you know, Becky of Chula Vista, <laughs> you know, be Chuck of uh, Spring Valley, right? Maybe there's a couple of Chucks. But your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, he perched you there. Not because of your works, but in the natural service, your names are there. I mean, he knows you personally. And he remembers. Revelation 3, verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. You're serving for my name. You're confessing my name. Your whole life is about my name. Oh, Revelation 3 is the conclusion of the letters to the seven churches of Asia. Church service. Being the visible witness in the world, the light to the world in this dark place. Serving, as Paul talks about, as stars of light in the dark universe. And Jesus is saying, 
overcome. Your names are written in the book of life. I mean, isn't it encouraging to think at the last great day of the resurrection, he's got the roll call, the membership roll call. And your name will be called. And you'll be called to stand and go into his father's house that he's been preparing for you. I don't know, maybe we each have a room with our name placard on it. Isn't that something to think about? But personally, by name, you are accounted for now, and especially in the book of life. I'm happy to say I think of you as Christ's beloved servants, each by name, and all your service, and my honor and privilege of serving Christ with you. And what a, I guess we're starting 14 years together. Thanks for dealing with me that long. And I trust that he knows and greets you each by your names right now through the sermon, through this epistle. And that they are written not only in our membership roles, and your names are not only written in letters of service and emails, but in Christ's eternal church membership role. Because here you are faithfully serving, loving, being hospitable for Jesus who is the truth and faithful and true. Be known for being churchmen like Gaius. Be known for being ladies of the church like the second letter of John. He doesn't name her, but he's writing to one of the elect ladies of the church. We know many of the names of the ladies who served Jesus, and frankly, it was largely their pocketbooks from which Judas stole, but contributed and supported the ministry of Jesus himself. We know many of their names. Be known as statesman for the church, a servant, hosting and supporting church work for those coming and going, staying and serving or passing through. Not competing, but supporting. Think about Paul in Philippians. He rejoices even when there are those who are competing to try to take over his reputation for themselves because he says at least the gospel's being preached. <laughs> you know, just let us not be competing. You know, we can only cover so much ground. Pray the Lord is working through so many different churches and be glad to know them and speak to them when it can't be fraternal, formal fellowship. Certainly welcome and encourage and develop organic relationships in the church. And beloved, may your names be attached to those kind of roles and minutes and memories of the church, like Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul and Phoebe and John. And as our text this evening, may this church remember your name like Gaius. Dearly beloved in the truth, walking in the truth, known for faithful, consistent support and leadership. Hospitality. May your name come up in church, in the life of the church, in the genealogy of the church, you might say. Beloved, the message for you this evening, may this church remember your name like Gaius. And I want to challenge especially our young people. What will your life be about? May it be like all those sitting here with 
a number of decades over you, who we all know and speak about often because they're here all the time serving. Most important to the Lord Jesus Christ. Done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. I want to challenge our young people. You're going to be encouraged, including too often in church context, to be thinking about everything else but being known for serving in the church. And if you are, it's because you want to be honored and advanced and make some kind of advancement for yourself. Just be known naturally because you're always showing up and you're always serving. And you're always, by the way, that's what... Uh, Steve Lawson said in a sermon years ago about looking for deacons, don't make anyone a deacon who hasn't been through a couple of church problems and splits. Look for those who keep staying and showing up and serving through those things. That's what you're looking for for a future leader. Not the hot, uh, the flashes in the pans, but remember those hot coals that keep burning and you can count on for warmth through the winter months and seasons, eh? That's what I want to challenge our young people to be thinking about. Are you going to be uh, about Christ's church? Is your main thing about your life going to be finding you in the church? Can your children look back and, and see your face and pictures and your names and captions and on rolls and just people remembering fondly and talking about my dearly beloved Gaius, my dearly beloved he or she by name because of your service in the church? Beloved, that's the only thing that matters that our name would be known for serving, as is said in the text again tonight, for the name of Christ. So, beloved, again, may this church remember your name like Gaius. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this example to follow, and we pray that you would let our names be honored in the sense of them bringing honor to your name. That hearts are warmed, that minds remember fondly our service to your body in your church, because where else would we be? You have the words of eternal life. The church is the family and household of God and pillar of truth. And it needs its servants, its workers, its workers in all of the different things, including just supporting and hosting and holding up the leaders and ministers and missionaries. All such vital work, such important work that you call the names of so many of these servants in whatever their simple services were in the church and as whatever their simple employments might have been, they get named in the roles of the church and honored and remembered. Oh, Lord, let us be motivated, inspired. If our names were to be remembered, that it would be in such a way and in such a context in and for Christ's crown and covenant. And so we pray and all your people said.